0: So we're continuing with uh, James's letter, which is real uh, real practical wisdom for the church. So who has a vivid memory of something that was said to them in childhood? Uh, You remember the person. You remember their facial expression. You remember the words that they said. You remember the tone that it was said in really clear, vivid memory. Now, I wonder that uh, vivid memory, is it a positive or a negative thing that was said to you? Now, this isn't always the case, but the chances are the words you remember the clearest are the ones that hurt or tore you down. Two psychologists, John Gottman and Robert Leverson, conducted research into the effects of negativity on our relationships, and they found that for every negative encounter, there needs to be five positive encounters to make up for it. So if someone says something negative to you, the chances are that's what you're going to remember unless that same person says five positive things to redress the balance, to even it up. You know, I can only remember two things that my principal at uh, primary school ever said. Two things. One of them uh, was about me, the other was to me. They're both negative. Uh, when I was about eight, I'd been in trouble uh, in the playground, and I remember him looking at me, said, Charlie Lacey, you've got a bully streak in you a mile long, and you will always be on the fringes of trouble. Now, I was no angel, but the way I remembered it, I was getting bullied and I stood up for myself, but that's neither here nor there. The memory is as clear as a video recording in my mind. More recently, uh, but still about 14 years ago, uh, one of the first times I shared my testimony was at a military prison um, to a group of soldiers. And uh, I know that I got a lot of very positive feedback that day, uh, but I can't remember any of it. The one thing I remember, bizarrely, is as uh, this particular soldier was leaving, he looked at me, he said, the bloke last week seemed loads happier than you. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a Neanderbrow. It doesn't help. It makes me look like I'm morose. But uh, I, I don't think I'm overly sensitive. And I'm certainly not haunted by either of those remarks. Uh, in the overall scheme of things, uh, they're pretty trivial. Uh, but isn't it interesting what we remember. Words are powerful and particularly negative or hurtful words. I mean, You could say a few words to me that would devastate me or make my day. In fact, words can change the course of a person's life. Do you understand how powerful your words are? Uh, We all use words to influence others every day, so we need to choose our words with great care. And according to James, especially those who teach, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I've got to be honest, I find that quite scary. I was really encouraged when I watched the online services for the weeks when... My family and I were away because it was a reminder that we got a really strong team and we got uh, people in this church who are really competent uh, uh, preachers and teachers. Uh, but I know that one of those sermons that you heard while we were away uh, took more than 30 hours to prepare. I don't know about the other two, I, I, um, but I know this, is, this one took more than 30 hours to prepare. And that's because as teachers, we, we can't just come up here and give our opinions and say, you know, say things off the top of our head. We have to think really carefully about what God might be saying to this church through his word and, and how we're going to communicate that. I was once talking with a teacher from TSAC about preaching. And uh, he brought it up and he said, well, I expect by now you've got an archive of sermons and you just pull out the appropriate one. (laughs) No way. As soon as I start doing that, I stop learning. Uh, Those who are teachers need to be teachers some of the time, but students all of the time. The good news is James recognizes that none of us are perfect. In verse two, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. How many times have you said something on the spur of the moment and then regretted it? You say something and then you realize the damage you've caused and how hard it's going to be to repair it. And often once we've said something, we find it very hard to retract it, don't we? Again, a, a childhood memory, one Christmas, uh, would have been about five. Uh, my grandparents were staying with us. Uh, I, I loved them dearly, they were the best. And uh, on Christmas Day, my parents gave me uh, some Action Man figures, complete with a Jeep, and my grandparents gave me some Star Wars figures. Now, um, for those of you who are familiar with those toys, you'll know that they're on a different scale. Action Men are about this big, and Star Wars figures are about that big. I love both. And I think I wanted to make a comment about the, the scale, the size difference. Remember, I was only about five. And it came out all wrong. And what I actually said were, was, uh, these Star Wars figures are rubbish compared to the action men. Uh, as soon as I said it, I realized that I'd said something awful. Uh, I wasn't being malicious, it was just thoughtless. But once it's out, it's out. And for some reason on that occasion, I I didn't feel like I could go back on it. I got very stubborn and dug my heels in and it, it caused a bit of a thing. But it's not just children who say things without thinking, is it? Adults do it all the time. And technology makes it even easier for us to upset people. With an email, you can't see the person's reaction to what you're saying. And they don't get any sense of the tone that you think you're using. Plus, when you send an email, you can find yourself saying things that you would never say to the person face-to-face. bit of advice, never deal with anything sensitive via email, text, or social media. If you're robbed by something, always deal with it face-to-face. If there's no other option, then by telephone, but preferably face-to-face. And don't have that face-to-face meeting or that conversation uh, when the emotions are still running high. Take time out to think about it, to pray about it, to try and see the situation from that other person's perspective, to think about what will be constructive to say, and what will be destructive so that we can avoid uh, the latter. There's a lot we can do to prevent our tongues or our thumbs from running away with us. But it's not just thoughtless speech that we employ. Sometimes our words are malicious, nasty, hurtful, slanderous, gossipy. We use words in a way that can have a hugely negative impact on other people's lives, and indeed on our own lives, and we all do it. Jesus alone is perfect. Jesus is the only person who never sinned with his speech or in any other way. He was often very direct. He often said things that were uncomfortable or challenging, confronting even. He often said things that people really didn't want to hear, but he never said anything out of turn. He never said anything that he ought not to have said. So taming the tongue doesn't mean that we just tell people what they want to hear all the time. Sometimes we have to have difficult conversations. But as Christians, we shouldn't be having those difficult conversations unless we genuinely love the person or the people involved concerned. Someone might be thinking, well, that would mean I'd have to love all my work colleagues. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Uh, You may not like everyone that you work with, but you are called to love them and to want the best for them. If we don't love the person, we've no business uh, bringing up the difficult issues. But it's good to remind ourselves that only Jesus is perfect, especially when we hear words that hurt us, because we can say, you know what, I know I'm not perfect, but this person isn't perfect either. So we give them some leeway seems that everyone is offended by just about everything nowadays. And as Christians, we don't really want to fall into that mold. And the solution is to exercise a lot of love, grace, and forgiveness. 1 Peter 4, eight says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. But words are powerful. They can change the course of a person's life, and James helps us to see that with three illustrations. He likens the tongue to a rudder that steers a ship, to uh, the bit that, that goes in a horse's mouth, and to a spark that causes a fire. Firstly, the bit. Horses are tremendously powerful animals, and that piece of equipment, the bit of tack, that enables us to bring them under control uh, is the bit, that uh, piece of metal that goes in their mouth. Uh, some of you will know Annabelle. She goes to this church. She's in grade four and she loves horse riding. Isn't it amazing that uh, a nine-year-old girl can control a horse that is perhaps 20 or 30 times her weight just through this little bit of metal in the horse's mouth, that bit of equipment? Second illustration is out of a rudder. In World War II, the Germans built a monstrous battleship uh, called the Bismarck. It had the potential to change the whole course of the war um, by severely disrupting, if not stopping, the vital shipping routes that were coming across the Atlantic from the US. The Bismarck was considered to be virtually unsinkable, and so, uh, understandably, the Allies were, were really concerned about it. Well, the Achilles' heel of this great battleship was its rudder, And it was, in fact, a torpedo to the rudder that uh, eventually led to the Bismarck being sunk. I wonder how many of us have an Achilles heel, a weak point in that we're not able to control our tongues. Do our tongues steer us into trouble? The final illustration that James gives us is that of a spark, verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Our tongues have huge destructive power. Our words can have a knock-on effect that ruins our own lives, ruins other people's lives. Words might seem un- inconsequential, but they're not. Just, one, uh, just as one little uh, spark or a cigarette butt might not seem like a big deal, but here in Australia we know better than most the devastation that they can cause, bushfires that destroy hectares of land, uh, millions of wild animals, houses, farms, and people's lives. Do you think that the person who failed to put their cigarette out properly wanted to cause that kind of devastation? Probably not. Our words can have an impact that far exceeds uh, anything we could foresee or imagine a child that doesn't reach their full potential, a broken marriage or relationship, a ruined life. Verse 6 says, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. We can unleash hell with our tongues, but also our tongues can be set on fire by hell. In other words, Satan himself could influence what I say. My words could come straight from hell. And any time I use my mouth to tear someone down, guess who's in control of my tongue at that moment? We even see an example of this in the New Testament. Peter, of all people, is used as the mouthpiece of Satan. When Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be handed over to the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he's going to be killed, Peter takes him to one side and says, Lord, this will never happen to you. He's effectively Uh, tempting Jesus to take another way. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. If Peter can be used as Satan's mouthpiece, we shouldn't think that we can't. We need to be on our guard. Remember, we all stumble in many ways, James says. Reading from verse 7, it says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You can't control your tongue, and neither can I. We need a bit in our mouths. And the person that ought to be sat in the saddle is Jesus. We need to give Jesus control of every area of our lives, not least the way that we use our speech. And James uh, highlights our hypocrisy in a very graphic way. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt. Uh, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. We praise God, and we curse human beings who have been made in God's image with the same mouth. Uh, I I think sometimes we see certain people as being fair game for our criticism, our snide remarks, uh, and our spite. Uh, Particularly famous people, especially politicians. But they too have been made in God's image. So we ought to be very careful uh, how we're speaking about them. Should blessings and curses be issuing from the same source? And this is absolutely crucial. What is the source of these words that are coming up uh, and and, and, and that we're using? Because the source will determine what comes out. When you go to your kitchen tap, you don't wonder whether you're going to get salt water or fresh water. You know, when we're on the way to the beach as a family, my kids don't ask, "Well, will we be able to drink the seawater today? I say, oh, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see when we get there. Who's ever had that kind of conversation? We, we, we haven't because the source determines what comes out. That's always the case. You don't get oranges and apples growing on the same tree together or oranges one year and apples the next year. If it's an apple tree, you'll only get apples from it. And if our hearts were pure, Our words would always be kind, true, uplifting, beneficial and loving, but that's not the case. Our words reveal what's going on at the source. Our words reveal what's going on in our hearts. When we hear ourselves say something that is unkind, gossipy, spiteful, malicious or unfair, it ought to be a reminder that there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of change that still needs to take place in here and it should be a catalyst for drawing closer to Jesus. If we want to tame the tongue, we have to change the source. And the only way to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we press in with our relationship with Christ. The thread that runs right the way through James's letter is that if we know and love Jesus, there ought to be evidence of that in our lives. There ought to be an ongoing change and transformation that takes place. So what are we aiming for? How should I use my tongue, my words? What's the best use I can put them to? Well, firstly, praise, worship, and prayer. That is the number one reason we're alive. That is the number one reason we've been given this capacity to express ourselves with words, to praise our Creator, to express our love for Him, to have a relationship with the God of the universe, a life-transforming relationship. But in human terms, we need to use our words to build up rather than to tear down. We've we've heard a lot about the destructive power of words, the, 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 the bit or the rudder that can steer a person's life off course, the spark that can unleash hell. Words can ruin lives, but equally words can be incredibly powerful in a positive way. After all, God brought the whole universe into being, through the spoken, spoken word. You remember in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and then he said, and then he said, until creation was completed. We have the power through our words to change somebody's day today, to transform somebody's day, to transform somebody's life. I used to help out at a gym in a church on an estate uh, in London, and we got to know a group of uh, a group of the, the boys, teenage lads on the estate. Uh, most of them had come from uh, very dysfunctional homes. Uh, many of them had had words weaponized against them their whole lives. they hardly ever received any encouragement and I was amazed at the effect of encouragement on these these uh, young men. I remember this guy, John, he was quite a big Guy is uh, quite overweight. is very conscious about it. He had absolutely no confidence. Uh, but as he turned out, it turned out he was uh, naturally very strong, and he was doing this exercise. I said, "John, that's awesome! How, how did you get to that stage already?" And it was like he grew in front of me. He straightened up. The expression on his face changed. His whole demeanor changed. That's so one little bit of encouragement. It really wasn't very much, but it had a significant and immediate effect on that young man. We all have the power to build people up. We all have the power to build people up. Isn't that exciting? And it doesn't cost us anything. We should look for opportunities, not to give people false compliments, that's disingenuous, but to encourage people. Let's tell the people we love why we love them, why we're proud of them. Let's focus on people's qualities and strengths. Let's look for ways that we can build people up and encourage people. Let's be quick to apologize when we realize that we're in the wrong. Use our words to bring reconciliation. Let's go into each day with the aim of making a positive difference through the words that we use. We can never tame the tongue completely. But if we allow Jesus to change the source, if we allow Jesus to change the hearts, then increasingly We will use our tongues to praise rather than curse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we all get it wrong uh, with the things that we say. Often we're we're very thoughtless in uh, what we allow to come out of our mouths. And we pray that we will recognize in that our frailty as human beings and our need for you, our saviour our need to have a a life-transforming relationship with you. We pray uh, that we will draw ever closer to you, that you'll change our hearts, and that we'll become great encouragers, that our uh, mouths and our words will be used to praise you and to build up others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.